Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with values of the value guys. I am a 30-year Wall Street veteran who has taken on a secret identity and gone underground in order to provide you my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen me quoted in the news, you've seen my face on TV, but my bosses would never allow my candid views on the air, so I've disguised my voice and they'll never know. This week, I look at the May seventh, uh, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, uh, although I admit the show's a little uh, late this week, but um, I do want to get to every issue. So um, it was uh, an issue filled with retailers. I've done three of them this week. They seem like pretty decent ideas. Um, but before I get to that, a couple of caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, that's not a guarantee. Secondly, I may have conflicts of interest, including um, an interest in owning stocks that I'm recommending selling or in selling stocks that I'm recommending owning. Third, and this is uh, pretty important, I may be completely uninformed and not reveal that on the show. Okay, and finally, um, and this is uh, very true this evening, I may be heavily drinking. So, uh, I'm just kicked back, it's after work, and I'm paging through Value Line. These are the same professional thoughts I have during the week for paying clients, but here, um, <clears throat> I may have been overserved. So... Having said that, and if anyone's still left, um, the format of this week's show is, as every week, three um, medium ideas, uh, sometimes good, not great today. I mean, we've had a giant rally, so really, it's getting harder to find uh, good ideas. And in this week's issue... A lot of retailers, and guess what? The cat's out of the bag on the notion that retailing might be coming back. I think as of a couple days ago, um, maybe the fifth consecutive month of increases in retail sales, you know, who knows. But uh, this is beginning to shape out as a somewhat uh, typical recovery, although it'll be muted in job growth most likely because... Um, a, we're, we're taxing uh, investment and, uh, and things like that, so we won't have the same incentives. And, and also the Internet continues to provide productivity enhancements. So I think a lot of firms that are really cutting costs during this period are finding that, um, you know, they don't miss the person that they let go because, you, you know, you can do um, more with less, more so than ever before if that makes any sense. Um, and so I'll, I will have three ideas this week. And then in addition to that, here in 2010, I've added a segment that um, it's really just a rant, but what I've been calling it is it would help my portfolio if, and that helps to tie it into the, to the show a little bit. Um, and so I've had some pretty good ones. I mean, it's not me, but, you know, between the health care debate and uh, the, the taxes, um, you know, the attacks on Wall Street, there's been a lot for uh, 
portfolio manager to talk about. Um, and even still in the news, there's a lot to talk about in terms of helping my portfolio. Um, but I'm very sleepy uh, this week. The show's late. I've been traveling. Um, you know, our record in the shop has gotten good. People want to meet. And one interesting thing about a down market is that, um, you know, you're hunkered down. No one wants to meet. So you're not, you know, you got a lot of time uh, on your hands. Well, now everybody wants to meet. So I just really haven't been that diligent about getting to the show uh, in a timely fashion. So, um, but let's see, what is there to rant about? My quick rant right now is just going to be on, it would help my portfolio if we wouldn't pass more taxes on more things. In this case, uh, this energy climate bill. Um, And it's pretty simple, I think. GDP is highly tied to energy use. In fact, it's very hard to turn something into something more than that, which would be the value add, without applying energy. Um, Even if you're in the service industry, you know, you're probably flying somewhere, again, using energy, or you've got multiple electronic devices using energy. You're plugged into the Google or Amazon cloud using energy. So, um, you know, there's just no way around it. And yet, um, you know, there's this proposal to tax energy and try to channel uh, demand for energy into cleaner uh, uses, which again, I think clean is good, but, um, uh, you know, um, there just isn't enough wind to power everything. And um, I think solar um, is coming along at a very rapid clip. And there's public companies where you can play that. Um, And there's changes there in the technology going on. But even still, and we've sort of roughed this out in the shop a little bit, you know, it's going to take 20, 30 years before solar can really make a contribution. The heavy lifting is going to have to be coal, and there's just no way around that. Even if we were all wishing that we could develop these non-carbon uses as fast as possible, even I guess there's people that you know are trying to develop fusion and things like this, hydrogen fuels, all that. But you know you always are going to have problems with delivery and building out a distribution system and. You know, there's a lot of wires carrying electricity in the country, and there's a lot of gas stations in the country. I mean, you don't just build all that stuff up again overnight. So for the foreseeable future, until people willingly stop driving cars and taking airplanes, um, if we all did that, then, um, you know, of course, energy use would, would fall a lot, and that would be the presumably the goal of this legislation in the first place. But as it stands now, if you want to have a growing economy and you want to be realistic about how much of the energy that you'll need for that growth can be created by non-carbon sources, then the cap-and-trade bill uh, ends up really just being a tax on GDP growth 
and um, you know, in a period where we're already hindered due to um, reduced capacity for lending, um, you know, uh, we're hindered because of increased taxes on labor, increased taxes on capital. We do not need increased taxes on energy. What's left? I'm just I'm just reminded of uh, the Beatles song, George Harrison song, Tax Man, where uh, if it if I have to walk, I'll tax your feet. If it gets too cold, I'll tax the heat. I mean, it's something like that. I mean, come on, man, men, women. Um, if you want America to grow, you can't shackle down uh, the factors of that growth or you're not going to get the growth. And that's going to hurt my portfolio to get back to that. So it would help my portfolio if they wouldn't put taxes on energy. So there, I've said it. Um, okay. I bet if they put that on a South Park episode, they'd have to they'd have to pull that off the air. Also, uh, okay, where am I uh, this week? Let's see. <clears throat> Three good ideas out of the May seventh, two thousand ten edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. Excuse me for a minute. I'm going to uh, have a drink. Um. I'm I'm at home uh tonight but my wife's not here she's out and uh it's unusual usually I'm out somewhere and it's a weekday and uh or we're somewhere and it's a weekend but for me to be home and her not home very odd I don't want to get into all of the logistics of all that but I just want to say hi to her. I think she might be a listener. I don't know. Who knows? She might be one of the few. Okay, well, let's get to the three good ideas, shall we? Let's see. First up this week, and I went through most of the names this week. I don't want to say I went through every name because that would be an exaggeration. But I did go through most, I'll say. Um, And what I came away with and I don't have the table of contents here, but a lot of stuff's moved. If you go back and listen to shows from last year, and all of the shows are on iTunes, um, or you can Google up the value guys and get to our site and all the shows are there. But if you go to March, February, March, April of 2009, when things were really dark, and we were coming with three ideas every week, I mean... There was some stuff that they were just giving away. And at the same time, I remember being filled with fear of some of these brands that, you know, maybe no one would ever buy a shirt again or something like that. Or you certainly wouldn't need number four, you know, maybe the kind of mentality. I mean, certainly if you're in a period where it's uh, there is a probability that banks will never make another loan um, and uh, and that's the uh, mentality you could see how these retailers would just get crushed you know the thought that hey, well maybe people are gonna start you know 
raising their own sheep and shearing their own wool and knitting their own stuff. I mean, you know, it seemed pretty scary. Um, well, we're out of that period, of course, and these stocks, in many cases, have just really, you know, I mean, let's face it, the Russell 2000, which is a benchmark I like to look at, was up, uh, well, I haven't looked at the April number, but through March was up 65% over the prior 12 months, and I think through April it might have been, uh, you know, a few points either side of that. So naturally these things have moved. And so just, you know, bear with me. Uh, some of them still look pretty good uh, even at these levels. First up, Carter's Inc., ticker CRI. This is on page 2102. Value line has it rated 1, which, again, I usually don't find myself in the same ratings area as value line because they use momentum as a big important component here. And this thing has had some momentum. It's at 32.99. That's uh, Friday's close. You know, the it's it's roughly the same price that's on the sheet dated May 7. But you could have bought the stock in uh, well, I guess in mid 08 for basically 12 bucks. So it's nearly tripled. Uh, sales are up 50% from that point. But, uh, you know, margins sort of bottomed out at that point in the uh, upper single-digit range on operating margin. They tend to put up teens. And so what happened right then, I couldn't say for sure. I have a feeling that a competitor, you know, maybe went out of business. You had uh, maybe the Disney stores or somebody, you know, dumped a lot of children's clothes on the market. And that can depress margins as you are forced to compete with um, inventory that could be, you know, if you get four turns a year, that would be a quarter's worth of sales uh, that have to be liquidated, and that could be 50% off. I mean, it puts enormous pressure on competitors. Maybe that's what happened. But they're back to those old margins. My theme on this Carter's is simply brand uh, in a uh, in, in a niche market of, of, of children where trust and quality and all that sort of stuff can really matter. And I think this company has achieved a psychic uh, market share of some of those important elements that come into play when you choose children's clothing. And I've talked about this before. You know, it's hard to prove um, for an average consumer of these clothes what's better. I mean, I'm sure you, in a test you know, maybe the thread counts higher, etc. But um, importantly, people have that perception. And so that's going to allow you to, um, you know, uh, win, win over a, a certain loyalty where you just people aren't going to shop. And that's going to allow you to earn a little better margin than maybe you might otherwise would. And so, and, and you, you know, maybe that's sustainable because of this trust it permanently lowers your SG&A cost in terms of advertising or uh, permanently increases your gross margin because you're able to charge a little more, those kinds of things. Um, these guys do put up a mid-teens return on total capital generally going back five or six years. And there's been improvement since uh, the early O's, if that's what this decade was called. 
And, you know, maybe that's just a scale. You know, a decade ago they had 500 million in sales. Now they're a billion eight. They did buy the Oshkosh Bagash brand along the way. So I'm attracted to the stability of these brands and the notion that um, they aren't a commodity. They're probably in some type of oligopoly world of high-quality children's uh, clothes. The valuation isn't super cheap because you've got some certainty in the value of these brands. But it's nine times EBITDA. So the way I might look at that is if we bought the whole company, stock and debt, um, we would be paying nine times the current EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And we would receive that as some type of cash flow. Um, now, we would have to pay some CapEx out of that, um, you know. But uh, uh, I might view that as a positive present value event if management's smart and they're earning decent returns spending money to grow would uh, you know not necessarily be viewed as a negative by me and the returns here suggest that's true as they invest new capital it's earning rates certainly higher than I could earn anyway so I'm going to take that nine times as a yield one over nine so that's 11 percent if I bought the whole company the cash flow that would come to me would be 11 percent of the cash I put up and um, and then the value of my firm would go up presumably by the growth rate in earnings assuming a constant multiple and in this case value line forecasts 12 percent cash flow growth or a little higher earnings growth I don't really need that uh, to get to a 20 percent return which it might be a sort of a target for me so I'm at 11 percent cash on cash I really only need nine to get to 20 but value line says I'm gonna have 14 so that might give me a little cushion for error in some of these estimates um, according to value line uh, they're putting up good numbers blowing past expectations so you know the stock's been running a little bit this year even um, Sales up 15%. Oshkosh business showing signs of life. Deal with Walmart. I'm just reading along here. I didn't do very good homework on this. Uh, looking for a little bit of growth. You know, it's a pretty easy story here. Um, brand at the right price in a somewhat psychically protected niche. Balance sheet's pretty good. They don't buy stock back in any big way. They do have a consistent program of buying a little bit of stock. So that gives me some confidence that, you know, they they know not to grow too fast. I wish I had a sales per square foot number here in Value Line on these retailers, but I don't. But, you know, that's something to watch. And I'm sure if you went to their annual report or their 10K, just go to... Uh, sec.gov it's all free stuff in there you could probably search for Carter's Inc and that would come up um, so anyway I've done a little less work than I was hoping to this week but Carter's Inc not cheap but it's a great brand page 2102 okay um, what's up here next Liz Claiborne ticker LIZ page 2109 I have done this one before And I think this might be one of the ones we bravely ventured into as a spec last year. Um, 
again because of the brands uh, so let's see these guys own of course Liz Claiborne but also Juicy Couture Kate Spade Lucky Brand Jeans Mex which I don't know what that is Mac and Jack and Kenzie um, so clearly you know I'm not the target on all these things by any means um, this the price on the page here is 875 which is dated probably May I don't know second or something is when they post that right now it's May what day today the 14th or something again the show's late but I wanted to get to, to this so the close on Friday was six dollars and fifty four cents and I just pulled up uh, you know I have a Bloomberg app I mean if you don't have it it's pretty cool it's for quotes and news uh, on your iPhone and uh, they reported a quarter that you know missed some numbers and so we're getting you know very mixed results out there in retail land some companies are putting up nice comparisons some are putting up very weak comparisons I think part of it just depends on when they hit the wall last year because it's not so much about what's going on this year this year things are starting to ease up from a credit point of view uh, job losses are easing um, overall retail sales are getting a little better comps are getting a little better overall but depending on when last year you got hit which quarter and you know what quarter your numbers ended in I mean was it February was it March was it April um, these things matter a year later certainly month to month so I don't know any of that you know on these comps and such sometimes get tricky depending on specific cutoff dates of the quarters but whatever it is these guys disappointed and I just say that um, on a cash flow basis uh, with these brands it looks very cheap now they you know they do have a lot of debt that was the killer to so many stocks last year when if you had any debt whatsoever if you owed any money to anyone over the next two three or four years your stock nearly went to zero simply because people were entertaining the notion that no bank would ever loan anybody any money again um, it's still kinda out there a little bit you know it's not in this week's issue but for those of you interested um, in the shop we're taking a close look at Blockbuster BBI and uh, they're trying to convert to an online more of an online service they've got a great brand they're generating some forward-looking earnings but they have this piece of debt it's due in a couple years you know it crushes the stock Liz Claiborne I guess is in the same sort of idea you know boat they've got 650 million in debt and uh, at today's operating margin run rate in value line according to this they're gonna earn five percent operating margin on 2.7 billion in sales these guys you know ten years ago were earning 12 13 percent operating margins and value line doesn't put gross margin for retailers they certainly should because it's an important piece of da you know, data in terms of the markup on the actual cost of the product because they buy it they don't make it but I don't have that data here if I did I'd know a little more about what you know their cost of stores and 
people was relative to the markup on their cost of goods. And that helps you understand a little bit about retailers. But again, I don't have that here. And uh, I don't get sales per foot either. Um, now, Liz Claiborne's not a retailer, but if you had some notion as to when these clothes end up being sold, what's the rate of sale per square foot? Again, it would help you understand the demand for these products. But um, I think you can step back from some of that and just look at the operating margin. It combines a lot of things, but it's clearly down. And it could mean they're not getting the markup they need. They're having to compete a little more. I would note that these guys made a deal. And one of the things I liked about it uh, was that they made a big deal with JCPenney. Now, every brand, you know, may have to face this at some point. Liz Claiborne, I think at one time, and I don't know exactly what brands are going to be in Penny, so I don't want to speak out of school, but I am, so I guess I don't mind that much. But... They signed some big deal with Penny, and I think at one time this was a brand that you would not find in JCPenney, that you would just find in upscale department stores. But department stores are really losing a lot of share, and they're primarily left with high-end apparel, some furniture, you know, depending on what store you go in. But um, Liz Claiborne signed this deal with Penny, and I think maybe that's hurting their margin in the short term, but it gives you more confidence that as Penny builds around Liz Claiborne as their prominent high-end brand, that it gives you some stability. And I know that just a couple days ago, J.C. Penny reported terrific numbers. So sometimes you have an inventory timing problem, you know. Liz Claiborne reporting sales. They're reporting the sales that the department stores paid to Liz Claiborne not the sales that J.C. Penney is selling of Liz Claiborne, but that business drives how much J.C. Penney might buy from Liz Claiborne next quarter. So you have these cycles of inventory and end sales versus wholesale sales that you know can cause some confusion. But based on Penney's results, if Liz Claiborne really is a predominant or primary you know resource, they must be doing something pretty well. But the problem for the stock is that a 5% operating margin on $2.8 in sales, just doing the math, that's like $140 million in operating income. They have $658 million in debt. So at that run rate, even if they paid out all the operating margin, and, you know, they probably have to pay some tax, although they've been losing money the last couple of years on a net basis due to depreciation. But still... They've got four, five, six years to pay back this debt. The, the market doesn't like that, and that's why this thing, it is off the lows. I mean, you could have paid a buck fifty for this thing, and I think we might have recommended it around that level, but, you know, who knows? I'm not, that would have just been lucky. But even here, my anchor might be the deal with JCPenney means these guys won't go broke because JCPenney can deliver all kinds of free value in the form of, uh, advertising and store advertising, uh, companion advertising on television, things that Penny can do to drive sales to the Liz Claiborne brand, which, you know, obviously someone that didn't have a deal with J.C. Penny wouldn't be able to do. And that might allow them to uh, get through this period if you had any serious concern for their survivability, which evidently the market does. Their share equity, you know, Eight years ago, it was $2 billion. Well, due to losses, it's down to $200 million. They have been paying off their debt. 
So they're down to um, 400 million in long debt, 250 in short, and that's better shape than they've been in a long time. But on a valuation basis, and I'm sorry I'm taking so long to get to this because this is really the only reason to be talking about it, is you've got brand, you've got JCPenney as some kind of backstop, and you've got four and a half times EBITDA. So I don't have a calculator here, but four times would be a 25% cash on cash return, and five times would be a 20%. So it's got to be 22.5% cash on cash return. That means if we bought this whole company, we would get a 22.5% return on our uh, on our capital. Now, uh, on the other hand, we would have to turn around and um, well, no, I'm sorry. We, we've paid the debt at that point. We'd have to. We'd paid the debt. We've paid 800 million for the stock. We've paid 650 million to retire the debt. That's a billion four. And uh, starting next year, we're going to have 300 million in EBITDA. So that's, you know, a nine percent return. What am I looking at here? Why do I say? Why am I saying four and a half? Not sure. I think I might have done some math wrong here. Oh, no, 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 no. I I have it. A billion four, three hundred. That's four and a half. What am I talking about? I'm thinking of the last stock I did. So, that's a pretty decent return. And then according to Value Line, earnings growth is going to be uh, NMF, not meaningful. But cash flow growth, eleven percent. So, you know, there's some type of total return here. Uh, that you might calculate in the 30s. It's not without risk. According to Value Line, their total coverage on interest right now is um, just one. So um, yeah, I'm not quite understanding how that can be. It might be a net income coverage because, according to what I'm reading here, long term interest is 35 million. Maybe they have another 10 million of short-term interest expense, so that's 45 million, and 5% uh, margin. You know, it looks like they're going to make about 100 million at an operating level. So I don't know. It's a little bit tight, though. So you might want to get comfortable with that. Uh, but meantime, according to Value Line, um, recent sales performance is okay. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, the department stores are having a bit of a better period here um, versus last year. I mean, everybody is. And so it's worth a shot. Liz Claiborne, 2109. Okay. Last up, um, page 2120, Advanced Auto Parts, ticker AAP. And um, what I like about this is it's a stable industry. They serve the auto industry with an aftermarket parts, so repair, auto repair. And the length of time that Americans own their cars just keeps getting longer and longer. Uh, so the average car keeps getting older, and um, uh, you know that, that leads to a bigger universe of potential um, need for auto parts so and the industry generally has done well in terms of margins and returns on capital uh, these guys are putting up 
you know, upper teens, 20% returns on capital. I mean, that gets my interest. They don't use a lot of debt, so their return on equity is um, just a couple hundred basis points above that, 22, 23% return on equity. Their operating margin is in the low teens, 12, 13%, and very stable. So there's, you know, if you look at the inverse of that, 88%, um, that's their total cost. So their markup, again, I don't see a gross margin here. That would help me know the markup better. But their total markup on their costs is, uh, you know, what, 12 over 88. So 15%. You know, that's pretty tight. And they do $6 billion in sales. So it's a pretty competitive industry where, um, you know, the economy is a scale that you can get at that size with $6 billion. Um, you're still only, you know, marking a product uh, 15%. So that's going to keep people out of the business, and I think it's why they probably have a pretty reasonable return on total capital. The big competitor in this industry is AutoZone, AZO, and I have owned that in the past and probably talked about it. Um, in this commentary on Advanced Auto, there's some suggestion here that right now AutoZone is gaining a little share from Advanced Auto, but... You know, when I was looking at both of these carefully a few years ago and owned AutoZone, at that time, the fear was advanced auto was gaining share from AutoZone. So I think those things move around a little bit. Um, I'm attracted really to the stability of the industry, the oligopoly sort of nature of it, uh, which leads to consistently high returns, and the valuation, six times EBITDA. So, again, if I bought the whole company, equity and debt, um, I would pay $4 billion for the stock. Uh, the company has very little debt. I'd pay $200 million for that. I'd back out $100 million of cash. So I'm at, um, and there's actually $4.2 billion in market cap, sorry. So the equity, the enterprise value is $4.3 billion. And when I do the math, you know, 11 12% on $6 billion in sales, I'm going to round to $700 million. And, um, 4,300 over 700 is uh, roughly 6. So 1 over 6 is 16%. That would be my cash-on-cash cash return here. And then according to Value Line, I'm going to get 15% earnings growth. So cash-on-cash cash return at 16 plus 15% earnings growth, that's 31%. I don't need that much to own this, so that gives me a lot of cushion for mistakes. Um, the stock is... Uh, you know, selling a little cheaper than it usually does. It never really gets much more expensive than this, which means that what you'll actually earn over time is the earnings growth as the multiple stays constant. Uh, so that might be 15%. But again, I think you'll get a little advance in the multiple here because if they continue to put up these sorts of numbers in this uh, stable fashion, they're going to get a multiple. Or if somebody lock AutoZone or somebody comes along and buys them, you know, primarily for locations. It wouldn't be for the products. I mean, it's a commodity. But between AutoZone and, um, and, and Advanced Auto and some of the other ones, you know, there might be a region or something that you're not in and you want to buy that guy. So I wouldn't rule out that they couldn't be an acquisition candidate for one of these other firms in the business. So, um it looks cheap, good stable market, advanced auto parts, AAP, 
And uh, thankfully for all of us, that's all I have this week. Favorite idea this week, it's going to have to be advanced auto parts because it's cheaper, stable, no fashion, no balance sheet risks, just good, pure retail fun in that one, advanced auto parts. So that's this week's show. This has been Value Line Observer with Val Hughes of the Value Guys. Check out all our caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. There's pictures there. There's uh, links to other things, best ideas lists, etc. All the things I forgot to talk about in the beginning of the show uh, at www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody.